0: Hey everyone, welcome to Psychology with My Wife. I'm the wife. And I'm the psychology student.
1: Welcome to episode 9 Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe we made it here already. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> well, we're excited to film this episode, but gonna be honest, I c- we can't wait till we're done so we can go jump in the pool after.
1: Yeah, the building we live in now is... It's super weird how the sun kind of only hits our pool at certain times because there's some buildings around us that are taller. So we always have to time our pool time time (laughs) properly. So we're hoping that we finish filming at the optimum time to go get some sunshine. Yes.
0: Yeah. I guess it depends if you just want to be hot or you want to get a tan because even in the shade, it's still hot.
1: Mm Mm-hmm although we've noticed that we are it must be because we're from alberta and we're not used to things being quite as hot because there's lots of times where we go up there and we're like oh this is so nice there's a bit of a breeze the sun's hit in, and it's nice for just chilling up there but not necessarily swimming but no one else is ever up there with us when it's a little bit cooler out but we love it at that time because it's empty. And then we can actually stay up there for hours without getting a burn yes, or overheating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we got to watch out for your sensitive skin. So
1: Yes, I am a sensitive little baby <laughs> my skin.
0: <laughs> my skin just turns like very dark brown.
1: Yeah, by the end of summer, you'll probably notice through each episode, Julian will start getting darker, darker, darker. <laughs> and I'll just keep getting redder and redder and redder <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. yeah but so this is episode nine we're still pre-recording right now but by the time you're hearing this i think we only have one more episode that's pre-recorded and then we'll be recording as the weeks go but at this point in time in our pre-recording we have received our first review of the podcast And we were so excited. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, I mean, super, super, super stoked.
0: (laughs) Genuine, genuine review.
1: Yeah. So it was on Apple Podcasts. And it was by this wonderful girl who I went to high school with and played volleyball with. Her name's Mahala. And she is so lovely. And I can't believe she's listening to our podcast. (laughs) She left (laughs) just a sweet review being like, oh. Love the topics and conversations and enjoy listening to you guys. And when me and Julian saw that, we were like, oh my goodness, someone actually took the time to write a review and is actually listening to us talk. So that was really sweet. Shout out to Mihaela. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. <laughs> I hope you're still listening to us now and hear this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to call out Laura Lee, my mom. Where's your review of our podcast? I thought that our moms would be the first people to write us a review. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not there yet. (laughs) So call into our moms, leave us a review. We love your reviews over the phone, those are very (laughs) sweet. But give us a public one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we'll start the episode. (laughs) Okay, today's episode is gonna be a unique episode in a sense. Okay. We're gonna go over some really cool topics. We had a YouTube subscriber, Gabe Quickstad, request a topic for an episode.
1: Awesome. Yay. Yeah, that's so, so exciting.
0: <laughs> so, this will be our first requested episode.
1: Wow. So, we have our first review and our first requested episode. Mm-hmm. This is some like milestone stuff happening in episode nine. Yeah,
0: we're pretty big deals. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Gabe requested the topic emotional contagion. An emotional contagion theory describes how people who observe the emotions and behaviors of another tend to copy those emotions and behaviors.
1: Oh, okay. My first thought was that if you saw someone feeling a certain way that it would just naturally impact you, but it's interesting. So it's that they copy it intentionally. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not about just it naturally spreading. We're like, Oh, if you're in a room and people are happy, you feel happy naturally. It's more about that. Like they're in their mind intentionally mm-hmm. copying.
0: Well, I will, I will say this. There's both. Okay. There is both. And, um, In this episode, I decided the best way to describe emotional contagion was going to the micro and macro levels of it. So, first, we'll go into the micro levels. Perfect. Um, (laughs) First, I was going to go into how and why an individual will replicate the emotions of another and some more serious cases of those emotions. Um, I'll go over a couple of the DSM disorders that could potentially contribute to emotional contagion. And then afterwards, I'll dive into the macro level, which is the really interesting one, bordering on some conspiracy theory level stories.
1: All right. I'm super excited.
0: <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't ask Gabe what um, specifically he was uh, looking or referring to but I think this is what it is.
1: Hopefully we cover it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I was going to ask, I can't remember if we've covered it in any of the previous episodes, but in case we haven't, do you want to quickly explain to people what the DSM is?
0: The diagnostic
1: <laughs> <laughs> manual. <laughs> did not mean to put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> um, that psychiatrists <laughs> use to diagnose. And it's, it's not a concrete thing. It's just like, almost sort of a reference manual so then everyone's on the same page mm-hmm. and it
1: basically has like definitions in a sense of yes, different yeah. um disorders or whatever
0: yeah and then definitions of disorders and then there's like a bunch of different like sub criteria that you can specify what type of symptoms they're showing and mm-hmm. all that so then Someone else looks at their what they the previous psychiatrist, for example, wrote. they be like, "Oh, okay, I'll keep that in mind." So after that, I will go into the macro level, um, as I just said. And there's a term called mass psychogenic illness, Hmm. and it's this is the one that's like a little conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. It's like. Bizarre, very bizarre, but there is quite a few documented cases of it happening. Okay, so
1: awesome. Well, the whole episode sounds exciting. Let's get into it. (laughs) I want to (laughs) learn. Let's
0: get into the individual's mind first. (laughs) (laughs) So there, there is some rationality behind the saying uh, "misery loves company," um, because we tend to search out things and moods similar to us.
2: Okay.
0: Um, So we'll listen to sad music when we're feeling down or uh, get that pump-up music when we're going to the gym, right? Because we want to be excited. Um, Likewise, if you listen to a sad song while you're at the gym, it cannot kill the vibe.
1: (laughs) Definitely would kill the vibe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And also why um, when you're at a grocery store, any retail store really, They play upbeat music, get people excited, more willing to buy stuff.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So I can see why they're like, oh, we want people to feel good to buy food. But I would say for me personally, if I'm like not feeling good, that's probably when I want to buy food.
0: When you want to?
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, like in an unhealthy way where you're like, when you're like not feeling good and you're like, oh i'll just buy everything in the store or if you're Mm -hmm. hungry and like not feeling great sometimes you're just like ah i'll just grab everything throw everything (laughs) in the cart like let's just go whereas like if you're in a really good mood then i'd be like oh i've got all the time in the world i'm feeling good i'll really look for the deals and take my time so interesting
0: i agree <laughs> I don't <You> definitely don't. <laughs> Well, you're not supposed to go to the grocery store hungry. No, so. never. Mm-mm. Very dangerous.
1: <laughs> not like you'd want to walk into a grocery store and there's just this really dark music playing, but but yeah. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be the right vibe.
0: <laughs> so, uh a reason, a big reason this happened is this happens is called the mirror neuron system. All okay. right. And the gist of what the evidence shown by neural ig- imaging is that the parts of the brain that activate when we watch someone else do or feel something activates the exact same circuits as if we were doing it ourselves.
1: Oh wow, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah,
0: and so because of this, facial expressions are usually reciprocated when interacting with others in a social group. And also emotions are transferred between each other.
1: At least you would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and just thinking of any interactions that if you have with someone and they're not reciprocating your emotions, how uncomfortable that feels. Like mm-hmm. if you're trying to be really happy and friendly and welcoming to someone or something and they're just like, Girl, no.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's
1: so awkward.
0: Well, the Think of the Debbie Downer, <laughs> mm-hmm, really, totally, just like completely <laughs> ruins the mood in a group. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you can change the mood in an environment? Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I think this. I think it's easier to bring down the mood than to bring mm. up the mood, for sure. Like it would be way easier if you're at somewhere having a good time with people to. Say a comment that just makes everyone go, oh, Hmm. time to wrap things up. I'm done here. But it would be more difficult if you're somewhere and, you know, you're wanting to have a good time, but everyone's kind of feeling really down. That would be more difficult for Mm -hmm. sure to try to bring the energy up.
0: Yeah. Well, people always remember the negative things you do. And it's, they won't remember the five good things you did, but they'll remember the one bad thing you did.
1: Wait, we're talking, I don't get it. I thought we were just talking about like making the mood happier, but you're talking about their, people's like opinions of you and your ability to make the mood better?
0: No, you're, you were saying it's easier to bring down the mood. Yeah. And people naturally look, remember the negative things compared to the positive things. Okay. When you mimic someone you first have to identify what the emotion is and a lot of the time this un- occurs unconsciously but obviously you can consciously do it as well right mm-hmm. we we're just talking about trying to lift up the mood and then kind of what I'm getting at though is that you're trying to if you're trying to console a friend and make them feel better about the uh situation when you do this obviously the end goal is to make them feel better about themselves, give Mm -hmm. them confidence. Um, And to effectively do this, you have to come from a position of confidence yourself. It's not very reassuring if someone's giving you advice and they're very pessimistic and negative about the Mm -hmm. situation, right? But if you actually consciously remind them of what they could be feeling, you can kind of pull them out of that emotion, really.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's pretty easy to just think back to times when you've been feeling down. It's like misery loves company, right? So it's easier for you to bring your friend's mood down with you than for them to be able to make you feel better. And especially that idea of confidence that you're bringing up. Like if this friend maybe doesn't have any knowledge or expertise in the area where you're feeling really upset about something, even if they say positive, reassuring things, it doesn't have that much of an impact. For example, like with my qualifying exam, at times if I was feeling like overwhelmed or like, oh my goodness, you know, what what am I going to do? I, I'm so stressed. What I can't think of things to write. It's not, it feels good, of course, to have, you or my parents or someone comment and be like, "Oh no, like you've got it, like you're so smart, <laughs> you're going to kill it." But it it's like, "Oh, well, you don't know what I'm writing on. You haven't done this before, so it doesn't have the same impact as if it was someone who obviously you can't talk to someone who's done it before that would break the rules of the examination, but for example, if someone who had done the exam before could be like looking at your work and talking with you and be like, "Oh no, like you're so on the right path, like" Don't stress. It would have a very different effect on mm-hmm. how you're feeling.
0: Hmm. That's an interesting point. Um, I'll uh, we'll touch on why that's the case um, about specific people mirroring other people mm-hmm. a little later on here. Okay. So, um, but part of that, another, um, it's easier said than done to like help someone out, mm-hmm. but some people are more susceptible to um, mirroring emotions. Um, Obviously, you would call those individuals empaths, or uh, another term they use is highly sensitive persons.
1: (laughs) I like empaths better. (laughs) Yeah, I agree.
0: So they're more vulnerable to feeling and understanding the emotions of others. They don't have more mirror neurons but the areas that are responsible for emotional and social processing, essentially where the mirror neurons are, are more active. That doesn't necessarily, like, I think empaths often get the um, thing where they just like emotional, overly emotional kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but that's not really the case. It's just that they're very reactive to the environment because they have these mirror neuro- neurons and they're just like, bam, copy, bam, copy.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably that people sometimes feel like people who, you know, maybe claim to be an empath are faking it or something, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like, oh... Sure, I'm sure you're so in touch and you completely understand what they're going through and can relate so well. I guess I think they're faking it maybe for attention or to feel valued. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of time people who are very empathetic and can build those strong connections with people are valued really highly. And so maybe people are just like, oh, you're just trying to relate. You're just trying to build those connections, but Mm -hmm. you're faking it. But they're not. Mm-hmm. At least most people aren't, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess the tricky part is there's the true empaths, which are people. So a little late again, a little later on, this perfectly describes it, but if you're a true empath, you'll copy the expressions of other people around you. Okay. Whereas I think you can be very empathetic towards other people and like feel their emotions and try to understand if that makes sense.
1: Without actually being an empath.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Whereas you wouldn't like literally replicate their facial expressions.
1: hmm So there's just levels to it essentially.
0: Yeah, I would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But the empaths, they, when they recognize the emotion, they begin to feel it themselves and then it becomes their own experience with that emotion. mm mm-hmm. um, So these people are a lot more susceptible to emotional contagion. And what happens is you have, say, an event occurred to you, and uh, let's just say um, a very exciting event. Say you, I don't know, went on a roller coaster, you got a really good mark on an exam, so you're excited about it. Mm -hmm. I pick up that excitement I didn't get a good mark on the test, but I pick up the excitement, and I'm really happy. I got lots of energy. And then um, Rory comes by, and he picks up that excitement from me, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: although I never felt the original, I never experienced the original action that caused it, right? Right.
1: Yeah, so you're just saying that it doesn't have to originate from one person. Like it spreads from people to Mm -hmm. people. Yes. Which is basically like the idea of, you know, we want to celebrate our friends' accomplishments. We want to celebrate a friend's birthday or their weddings. Like it's not something that actually impacts us directly, it's not our specific moment of joy or achievement, but you just can definitely build off that excitement and want to be there to like celebrate with those people. And it Mm -hmm. feels truly exciting for you, even though technically you don't really have any, you know, horses in the race.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, um, charismatic people attract others Is well. I think unconsciously a lot of people, um, Aren't happy, maybe? Maybe they <laughs> well, not a lot, but there is a fair amount of people that yeah. are unhappy. And when someone's charismatic and can create emotions in themselves that they want to feel, mm-hmm. they're going to be attracted and want to unconsciously be around them all the time because they make them feel good.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: <laughs> but uh, that leads into the next concept. Um, which is really important to understanding the emotional contagion on a really large scale. Um, there is a big purpose in society for having these mirror neurons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mimicking emotions kind of protects society. We feel that togetherness and can rally together on issues, whether they're good or bad kind of thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um,
1: Well, it just creates that kind of commonality between people, that common ground, where it's like, otherwise, if people weren't able to have these emotional connections with one another, you kind of be like, eh. Like, it's cool that strangers could meet and feel that emotional connection and, like, um, be able to reciprocate, hopefully, the positive emotions (laughs) that one of them is feeling and keep spreading that along because it's like it just makes your life would feel super empty if you weren't able to have those positive interactions with people throughout your day and you were only able to experience that with you know your very small circle of friends or something
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no i i definitely agree and babies that's how they learn Mm -hmm. they mimic their parents right so it's definitely a like a big part of who humans are. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it seems comes across like I'm being very negative about it so far, but um, we're like you should be scared of it. Don't be influenced, <laughs> kind of thing. But uh, Fisher and colleagues found that facial expressions from positive emotions were mimicking um, between individuals, whereas negative emotions were not. And the hypothesis is that. Negative emotions are not mimic because they're often considered offensive. Mm, mm-hmm. And it kind of makes... Well, if someone has a bad facial expression, I don't want to go near them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: And then positive replication only occurs with the in-group or when it serves an affiliation function.
1: Hmm, what's so, an affiliation function?
0: Basically... It like, you know, the concept of in-group and out-group, right? Mm -hmm. Is you feel that togetherness with the in-group. Yeah. Whereas the out-group. So when there's an affiliation, basically the in-group, you will mimic their emotions. Whereas if there's someone from another group where you don't feel affiliated to, you won't copy their emotions. Okay. So this is where I was getting to where you're saying about who gives you advice and where it feels better when someone who's already done it
1: mm-hmm.
0: has um, gives you the boost, like, hey, you're on the right track kind of thing.
1: Because, because you have that yeah. affiliation mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I thought that was kind of a cool way to look at it, actually, because I definitely agree with you. Sometimes when people try to help you, whether obviously they're not, they're doing, um, they want to help you, but it just doesn't help you.
2: Right? Mm-hmm.
1: It can feel comforting or, you know, whatever, but it might not actually help you feel better or more confident about it mm-hmm. because they don't have the confidence.
0: <laughs> yes. And keep this in mind when we talk about the large scale emotional contagion. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you know what uh, hysteria is? <laughs>
2: what? <laughs> Just being hysterical?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, because it's it's when someone is disproportionately emotional in a particular situation um, when they shouldn't be. Obviously, it was <laughs> okay.
1: I did not think I've ever actually heard like the definition of it before, so that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Disproportionately emotional when they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm.
0: I I actually thought before that the it's just his someone who's hysterical is just someone who's overly emotional, crazy like yeah.
1: Yeah. ah bananas, yeah. but. That's definitely a much nicer, Mm -hmm. well-rounded definition to explain the occurrence. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Well, but like I said, it's it's got quite a negative connotation Mm -hmm. um, when you call someone hysterical. So unfortunately, um, like it's an actual well was a disorder. The disorder was uh, in the 1500s. It was mostly diagnosed in women because the actual. uh, terminology from hysterical actually translates to uterus.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and so they literally thought that hysteria originated in the uterus.
1: I, the yeah. way that just so much like science and crap is just founded in sexism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's baffling.
0: Well, you look at it now, it's like, come on, how could you actually believe that?
1: Believe that this was a gendered issue. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and up until 1980, it was actually a disorder in DSM. Of course, they they didn't believe it started in the universe, so it was in the brain, obviously. But for for those of us who are working or going to be working in social work or... The mental health psychology field find it interesting that hysteria has um, now been translated to a few other disorders in the DSM, um, those being the somatic symptom disorder, dissociative disorders, and conversion disorder.
1: So, what do you mean? You're just saying that part of that definition is now used to help explain those other disorders, or
0: um, it originated. These disorders originated from hysteria. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just to give a little context for what we're going to talk about later, somatic symptom disorder is when you have physical symptoms um, that occupy your thoughts almost every a majority of the day kind of thing. Hmm. And it distresses you, I guess. So if you have a sore back and you're just constantly thinking about it all day.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> Maybe I've a got somatic this.
0: symptom disorder.
1: So but obviously it would be in your thoughts to the degree that it would impede your ability to do other things right yeah yeah, exactly it's not just like in the back of your mind it's Mm -hmm. really probably at the forefront of your mind Mm -hmm. where you can't even focus or Mm -hmm. okay that's well think of
0: similar to like a germaphobe where it's like very they can't do anything else wow when it's not when it's dirty
1: and is this common
0: um i don't know how common it is um the the other similar disorder, dissociative disorders, and that's any time someone tries to escape reality or they lose awareness in their surroundings, right?
1: Okay. Um, like, would that include DID? Um, dissociative I think, identity disorder? Yeah, yeah, disorder? I, th- I think
0: that's in there. Okay. There's uh, depersonalization, um, identity disorders, uh, amnesia, vogue kind of thing. So, hmm. Anyway that you escape what's happening. Okay. And then the last one is a conversion disorder. Um, this is where individuals have blindness, paralysis, or any other nervous system symptoms that can't be explained by medical reasons.
1: Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. I knew a person who, I don't, I don't know what their medical thing actually was, but they had something with their legs where they like, couldn't walk. And stuff hmm. and I think it might have ended up being that it was like stress that was causing that so I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that's related to it yep. but yep. it was like they literally lost feeling in their legs mm-hmm. and could not use them because they were so overwhelmed and stressed. I'm not sure if there were and there might have been other things that were contributing to it as well but I think that was one of the factors.
0: Yep. No that would uh, that would be conversion disorder.
2: <sighs> Crazy. Yeah.
1: Wow.
0: And I'm, I'm just bringing this up because The idea that intense emotions, when they show up in someone's life, can actually, like, wreak havoc.
2: Mm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that brings me to mass psychogenic illness.
1: Is this the one that's kind of conspiracy? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's also called mass hysteria or epidemic hysteria.
1: So, we're moving from the micro to the macro level now. Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, it's the mass psychogenic illness is the spread of illness and certain symptoms within a specific group where there's no organic cause. So similar to those disorders I was just talking about, um, specifically conversion disorder. Mm-hmm. But they are delusional psychosomatic symptoms. Um, I can't remember, did we talk about in a previous episode... The H2S exposure in Fort McMurray?
1: No. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Actually. So
0: that would be a conversion disorder or basically psychosomatic symptoms.
1: Like where people who weren't actually exposed to it started believing they had symptoms from it. Yes.
0: And then they actually had the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So it's just <laughs> crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Like how you would, like they had trouble breathing. They had, um, Like, I don't know, I think it was like red eyes, headaches, dizziness, all that stuff. Ease. So um, there's a guy, Simon Wesley. He um, thought of two um, mass hysteria terms. One is mass anxiety hysteria, which it's anxiety that has a rapid onset and wasn't present immediately before. So this happens really quick, and it actually... Been a bunch of cases where it happens in children, which is where it most likely occurs. Okay. So it's like a classroom. Um, one or two kids will have I don't know maybe it would be described as an anxiety attack, and then the rest of the class also gets anxiety out of the blue.
1: Hmm. So has this been? Is this something that's like well documented as yes. happening then? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then there's a second one, and this. <laughs> This one's actually creepy. Um, so it's mass motor hysteria.
2: Okay.
0: Um, meaning obvi- it's not anxiety. It's literal physical things you're doing. Um, so in the 1800s, there's, I don't know, even know how I found this. <laughs> it's Literally, it was a copy. Yeah, it was an archived <laughs> book. Oh, wow. Um, there was a nun in France begin began to meow like a cat
1: <laughs> okay
0: mm-hmm. and then shortly after a lot of the nuns in the convent started meowing as well
1: did they ever find out why this the original one started meowing
0: um, so
1: and was she only meowing <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure there was other things happening <laughs> um, apparently they just had, like, had bizarre. A lot of times these nuns would have like bizarre it says in the eighteen hundreds text, sexual misconduct.
1: Ay, ay, yeah. Ay, ay, again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of times it was it was obviously called because they had such a strict regimented lifestyle mm-hmm. and a lot of times they were forced into it. Yeah. It's just like that's just crazy how oh, that would actually happen.
1: Yeah, that's really wild that it would spread. I assume it stopped? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like what? Yeah. Is it documented how long they were all meowing for when it stopped?
0: No, no. It just mentions that they were meowing for a short period of time and then they stopped.
1: <laughs> Interesting?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: They were just messing with them. They're like, "Oh, all you annoying men researchers who are trying to put us in a box for our gender and sexualization, whatever, we're going to start meowing (laughs) and just confuse you and send you on some kind of research crazy adventure to figure (laughs) out why we're meowing.
0: Yeah. um, There was another one. June bug outbreak. This happened in the southern states. There was a bunch of factory workers that experienced severe nausea, and they actually got skin rashes because someone believed they got bit by a bug, and then there was numerous people that also thought they got bit. Turns out the first person didn't even get bit by a bug, and there was no bugs in the factory. Like, they had people come in and check it out to make sure it was safe.
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. But they all thought they got bit. Yeah, and And they even had the
0: skin rashes from it. Wow. Hmm. Did the
1: first person just happen to have a skin rash, and so they thought they had gotten bit by a bug, and that's kind of how it spread? Yeah.
0: Or it was from something else, like it was. Uh, it was in a fabric factory, so I think yeah, it's quite. Could have quite just
1: been an irritation from a fabric or a dye or yeah something.
0: No, there's a lot of reasons it could be there.
1: But. Or something not from work.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. There was another one, this uh, a YouTuber, and says in the article it says he had Tourette like behavior, and after he kind of like got popular on YouTube, there was a sharp increase in clinics specializing in ticks. So it was the first documented um, um, mass psychogenic illness from uh, social media.
1: Interesting. See now that one. I feel has more than one factor at play though. Like I recognize that there probably is some of it that is based on the idea of the emotional, what's it called? Contagion. Yes. Based on that idea. But I also feel like if this was, you know, kind of one of the first people who came on social media and then millions of people started seeing them, experiencing this disorder it also could have just helped people to recognize the disorder in themselves right because a lot there's so many disorders that you know the numbers of people who have them are increasing and oftentimes I found that people like to blame social media in a way to say oh they're just creating all these issues if social media wasn't there and people weren't aware of these issues, they wouldn't have them. But that's really not the case. A lot of people have them and just aren't coping with them properly because they don't understand what it is. But then when they see someone else who has similar symptoms or experiences as them, it helps them to recognize it and then go get it checked out. So mm-hmm. this case, I feel like, has two factors at play. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, think of the amount of people that are, don't know they have depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. and they just believe that's who they are and Mm -hmm. that's what life is and then they'll see someone else especially I think because of social media and it's more talked about now that they'll be like oh and then they'll realize it'll click in their heads it's like okay maybe I'll get help
1: yeah I think it's so wild the people who think like you know back hundreds of years ago that, oh, people didn't have all of these problems and life was so much better and da 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 And it's like, no, people just weren't being supported and helped and they were being told they're just crazy or that something's wrong with them, but people don't know what it is and forced to cope and live with it. Mm-hmm. But these problems existed then. No, mm-hmm.
0: well, they're hysterical.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> people would have just said.
0: You're crazy. Mm-hmm. well it it, it's like those tiktok trends you know like not in the like completely the same sense but just how many people like the tide pod thing yeah that wasn't a smart thing to do but apparently a lot of people did it yeah but why they know
2: Mm
0: -hmm. i i like there's no way that they really thought a part a part of them thought that it was okay to do Maybe because they've seen it and they're like, oh, if they did it, it's safe kind mm-hmm. of thing. But like
1: they knew it wasn't healthy, but since other people were doing it, they didn't think it would you know, potentially kill them mm-hmm. or something. Yeah.
0: So it just goes to show how much people copy each other mm-hmm. and mimic each other. For
1: sure. <laughs> and I guess the impact of social media there is the idea of, <laughs> I don't know if this is a term people still use anymore, but like clout. <laughs> Doing things like wanting to copy popular popularized behavior to try and gain clout on social media.
0: There has been a lot of cases in schools where people have um, certain symptoms. They thought there was, at this one school, there was a ton of, it was some like, um, don't completely quote me on this, but I think it was like 60 kids um, had illnesses, like they were sick um, with a type of flu. And they traced it back to one of the popular kids actually had a flu. And everyone else thought they did too.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because they thought it was contagious. Obviously, there's a ton of instances where this happens. But the most common factors that cause it is that they had close social ties. And I'll just bring it back to the in-group, out-group thing. And that's a big part of it. Okay. Yeah. And then... People who were strained, stressed, and like in the case of the nuns, maybe due to like a lack of identity and all that, to just stress them out. Um, Basically, I think um, not feeling good, I guess, about themselves. And at the time, they probably didn't know what anxiety and stress was even. Mm -hmm. But um, and that's the case. Kids, younger kids, they don't really know who they are. A lot of things stress them out. Whereas you get older, they don't. And even the, the factory example is those people are probably quite tired and <laughs> working long shifts. And that's why it um, might have occurred.
1: Mm-hmm. I could see that.
0: Mm-hmm. And then in uh, there's some newer research that suggests that it most often occurs in individuals with trauma because of their hyperactive limbic system. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I was just kind of thinking that there needs to be certain cri- criteria. not really the right word, but there needs to be something about a person that makes them like more receptive mm-hmm. to yep. thinking that's so where you're going mm-hmm. with it makes yeah,
0: sense. Yeah. That and a, a, apparently a low threshold for pain, which kind of makes sense is like you get easily excitable, and then you don't know how to deal with that pain or you don't want to deal with that pain. Mm. All this stuff, it's kind of scary, but how do you prevent it?
1: Okay, so what exactly are you asking to prevent?
0: Uh, Like, to prevent um, a situation where um, you are personally affected by emotional contagion also, like, a mass psychogenic illness if you were in that factory how would you prevent yourself from um, being affected
1: hmm. honestly no idea the only thing that comes to mind is trying to ground yourself in reality mm-hmm. i guess yeah trying to um kind of like that idea i can't remember what it's called but There's that thing where if you're having an anxiety attack, there's like, you know, five different things you're supposed to be doing. Right. That's
0: five things you see, four things you... um,
1: Hear, smell, touch, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Different things to do to help kind of ground yourself in reality. So I'm thinking along the lines of that idea of just doing different things to like fact check. Because there's also things Mm -hmm. you can do if you're having... Um, maybe if you are someone who deals really bad with um, feeling, geez Louise, what's the term? Suspicious or mm-hmm. like people are skeptical or whatever. But there's things you can do where it's like, you fact check like, what's the you know possibility that this is actually happening mm-hmm. right now? So you could be like, where was this first person who... Mm-hmm got bit like if we're talking about the factory one where was the first person who got bit was I near this person did I have any interactions with this person before I heard they got bit did I feel any symptoms and like I don't know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. on like an individual level on a mass level how to potentially prevent something like that I guess would be limiting at least at the start the information that people have access to so in this case everyone knew that this person had a rash mm-hmm. because of the presumed bite. So then other that's what other people started having as symptoms. And in your case with the H2S at Husky, people knew what the symptoms of that would be. But if you just knew something happened, but you didn't know what symptoms you could potentially experience from it, mm-hmm. it would be very unlikely in my perspective that you would start exhibiting the same symptoms as the original Mm -hmm. person.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think there's a fine line with that, though, because part of me, yes, I agree with you, because even look at um, during COVID here, the social media definitely exasperated the amount of anxiety that people had, because it was constantly there reminding people of, like, well, it's right in your face, right? And there was a lot of people that got anxious about it, um, where, Yeah, it's scary, but if they didn't have the constant information like, look how many people are anxious, um, and this is a big deal, they wouldn't be so anxious. But then on the other side of it, it's like, maybe you you shouldn't hide that information from people. Like, it's just deceptive, you know what I mean? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And um, also, on the individual level you were talking about grounding yourself. And that's where these um, um, the emo- uh, disorders I was talking about from the DSM, like the somatic uh, symptom disorder and the conversion disorder and stuff, dissociative disorder, that's people's reaction to extreme anxiety and trying to control it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> and then people forget about the situation completely or just like, they don't want to feel anxious. So that's what they do. So yeah. And then therapy. You can also get therapy afterwards, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or just be able to realize when you're feeling emotions.
1: Therapy would help you to mm-hmm. be able to do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh that's all for this episode.
1: Oh really? Jeez Louise, that flew by. <laughs> <laughs> it did.
0: <laughs> If you have any other topics, and Gabe, you can request another topic if you would like.
1: Yeah, Gabe, this was a fun topic to discuss, so (laughs) give us more recommendations.
0: Make sure, um, yeah, you can leave a comment on YouTube, uh, DM us on uh, social media platforms, or just send us an email if you're old-fashioned.
1: Yeah, we actually do have, um, if you click on our link tree through any, it's in the links everywhere on all of our platforms but if you click there there's actually a google form that you can click on if you want to be like very professional (laughs) with your request or anonymous um if you use that form unless you write somewhere in there who you are your request will be anonymous and you can let us know a topic or a question that you would like us to discuss on the podcast yeah
0: and uh anyone else um That wants to leave a review, AKA our moms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Morley, Carol. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Make sure you leave a review on what what the platform you're listening from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast. And remember to (laughs) like, follow, and subscribe. We are PWMW Podcast on all social media platforms. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. We'll be posting every Tuesday. So. Make sure you tune in.
1: (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye.